Good evening and welcome to another episode of Boom, My Dad Says. My name is John and I am your host with the most who likes to hang out with the ghost. This week, I hope y'all are having a wonderful one. I know I am because it's a short week for me. I'm going to be taking this Friday off from work and also the following Monday. So it's nice to have a long weekend to look forward to. Sadly today, Rebecca is not going to be with us for another episode. She had to make a trip to Charlotte with her best friend. They had to go and pick up something, and she asked if Becca would go along with her, and Becca said sure. So uh, my lovely co-host is not going to be with us for one more episode. And actually, upcoming, she's probably going to miss next week's episode too, and it's mainly because there really won't be anything for her to do other than maybe jumping on, saying hello, and picking on me for a minute or two, because if all things work out, I'm going to be doing a ghost hunt on uh, Friday night and Saturday night at the Chester Inn here in Jonesboro, Tennessee. And as always, if I get to go on this ghost hunt, I will come back and do an episode about it and give you all the uh, 411. Is that still a thing? I'm getting old because 411 was a thing back when I was growing up, so... For those uh, who are older than the age of 35, you probably know what I'm talking about. And for those who are not older than age 35, you don't know what you were missing. So there you go. This week, I do have a, another podcast I want to introduce you all to. It's called The Spirit Level. I have a trailer for them, and I think that you all would enjoy their podcast quite a bit. So let's take a listen to their trailer. Hello everyone. Join me, a small medium at large, as we explore the world of spirit, energy, tarot, mediumship, psychic abilities, angels, oracles, paranormal activity, and basically anything downright spooky. If any, some, or all of those things interest you, then you've come to the right place, my friends. I'm Melanie Mahmood, and welcome to the Spirit Level Podcast. Thank you, Melanie, and you can check out the Spirit Level every Sunday night on your favorite podcast provider. Before we get into this week's history and hauntings, I do want to make a little bit of an announcement for the Boom A Dad Says podcast. We're going to be partnering with Patreon to... Um, give you guys a chance to get some extra content from the show. And uh, we're going to be having some different tiers as low as $1 per month, all the way up to a higher end tier of $35 a month. And on that tier, you will actually get to co-host an episode of the podcast right along with us. So that's pretty exciting, guys. But then there's some stuff in between. And we're going to have some cool swag. We're going to have like some Boom My Dad Says stickers, coffee mugs, things like that that we're going to be doing with the uh, Patreon service. So once we get that launched, I will let you know because we're just now in the process of ironing all that stuff out. But that'll probably be within the next two weeks. So today in our history and haunting, we are coming very close to home. We are going to be in Kingsport, Tennessee, and we're going to be talking about the Rotherwood Mansion. I want to give a big shout out to some folks on Facebook who turned me on to this location. 
I had made a post on Tri-Cities Word of Mouth in that group uh, asking for what was the most haunted location in the Tri-Cities area. I was expecting uh, a couple of the locations I was certainly expecting to see, like Sensabaugh Tunnel, and um, and I think there was a VFW post that was quite haunted, which was actually a new one for me. But this one really stuck out, the Rotherwood Mansion. So this week, we are going to be going there to look at this fairly haunted house. So the house was built in the later part of the 18th century by a man named Frederick Ross and his family. They had inherited a large parcel of land of several hundred acres along the north and south forks of the Holston River. And for those of you who don't live around here, that's kind of one of the major rivers in our area. We got the the Holston River. We had the Nolichucky River. And uh, so this house was built right there along along the river. And it ran from the uh, Bays Mountain to almost the Virginia border. So it was quite a big uh, parcel of land. And for those of y'all who remember an episode like way back in the beginning of season one, we talked about there were some lights on Bays Mountain that was a about a haunted uh, airplane crash up there. But moving on with the story, um, Frederick Ross and his family, where they were a very wealthy and very respected family in the area, and Ross himself would later go on to lay out the town of Kingsport, or slash at that time called Rossville, which has now become the Kingsport uh, town that we know today. But like most wealthy families in the South at the time, Ross did own slaves. And he had several indentured white servants as well, but he was not known to be a cruel man. That doesn't make it right, but as far as part of the history, um, just throwing that out there. He treated his, treated his slaves well, considering the circumstances of the immorality of the institution of slavery. And unlike many Southern slave owners, he did not engage in wanton cruelty. In 1818, the work on the majestic plantation house that was Rotherwood was finished, and he took the name from uh, Sir Walter Scott's Ivanhoe. The house and the grounds were truly the showplace and entertainment center of the entire region. Ross, he had several children, but everyone remembers his daughter Rowena, uh, which this is only like the second time I've ever heard that name, Rowena. And the first time was actually associated with the uh, Harry Potter series when they were talking about Rowena Ravenclaw. But that's just a little bit of a tidbit there. But his daughter was named Rowena, and she had um, very like a raven hair and a very fair complexion, and she was considered to be the most beautiful creature in the entire area. And she had an education and manners to back it up. Well, she was very well liked and kind to everyone that she met, slaves included. Rowena had many young men chasing after her, uh, her hand in marriage, but there was only one gentleman that caught her affection and held them close. When um, the young couple came to 
Mr. Ross for uh, his approval. You know, he was very happy that his about his daughter's choice, you know, and he actually went on to build a second house identical to Rotherwood across the river from the main house for his daughter and her soon-to-be family. He relished the idea of being a grandfather, and the new house was completed. It was an exact replica of Rotherwood itself, but instead of red brick, the entire house was done entirely in white. But, unfortunately, it was never lived in because it burned to the ground not long after it was completed. And perhaps this was an omen of things to come. Not too long after that, tragedy struck the family. On her wedding day, Rowena and her family and the groom and his family had gathered before the ceremony, laughing and rejoicing. The groom and several of his friends decided to try their hand at fishing before he married his beaming wife-to-be. So they took a small boat out into the Holston, and the men, they were in plain sight of the house. And, and now this is, this is what I've uh, read. I don't know how true all of this is. But they said they were in plain sight of the house. And Rowena was watching as fate would change her life. Now, the Holston River is notorious for its dangerous currents and eddies. And somehow the boat that the men were in capsized. And it spilled them into its icy depths. Everyone on shore watched in horror as the men foundered in the water, the surging currents pulling them down. Miraculously, three of the four men made it back to shore. But to Rowena's devastation, her true love did not surface again. And in fact, his body was never recovered. Now, one thing that we do know is that we we know that something did happen because from what I have read in other sites, and I do find it funny is I have never been able to find this gentleman's name, but they said that CD records actually prove that there, he, he did die. And if I could find that uh, information, I will certainly come back and do a, uh, as they call a um, a retake on this story. Obviously, Rowena, she was devastated by this loss, and she fell into a very deep depression. And this once vibrant, beautiful young woman became a virtual recluse, and she secluded herself away in her third-floor bedroom, looking out of her window at the river and silently mourning the lo- the loss of the love of her life. This was, and she was like this for about the next two years. She saw no one, but she, she gradually became, came out of her depression and she began socializing again um, in small bursts until a, a man happened to cross her path. And again, she fell in love um, And this rich young man was from Knoxville. And while he was not her first true love, she was willing to try again. She was able to marry him. But fate, however, struck again. Another shock wave of grief slamming into her as her new husband died not long after their wedding from yellow fever. Once again, Rowena fell into a desperate depression, and this time it did not break for more than 10 years. 
But one last time after 10 years, she did try to give love another chance and she married. And this time uh, it seemed like her life was on the right track. She even had a daughter with her new husband. And for six years, she finally seemed to find happiness, but something was just never quite right. It's unknown how or why, but what is known is her story finally came to its tragic end. And what is known is this. During a vacation back at Rotherwood to see her father, Rowena said that she had seen the ghost of her first love, her first true love. She had said that he had heard his ghostly voice calling to her and had seen his pale white hand reach out from the dark waters of the Holston and beckoning to her. That night, she slipped into her wedding gown, the garment flowing behind her like angel's white wings as she made her way silently out into the late night, barefoot, following the trail to the shores of the river before slowly and calmly wading into the water, walking until the water was up to her neck, and finally she vanished below the surface, taking her own life. From that point, the fate of Rotherwood was doomed to be a bleak one. The once happy Frederick Ross was himself in a deep depression over the loss of his daughter, and in the years leading up to the Civil War, he made several business decisions that seemed to backfire. Huge losses and failed investments that cost him dearly. His overseer, Joshua Phillips, his overseer, Joshua Phipps, was also his bookkeeper. Strangely, he never seemed to understand why his employer's ventures were failing. Ross saw only one way out of the failing plantation and made a heartbreaking decision. He sold Rotherwood to the only person he knew who could afford it and the losses it had taken. That was Joshua Phipps. Huh. That sounds rather uh, interesting, doesn't it? Sold it to his bookkeeper. Okay. So now I wonder if his bookkeeper had a hand in why things were going downhill financially for him. But, you know, we don't know. Before he completed the sale, however, Ross made one decision that was, that was a harbinger of the hell to come. He freed as many of his slaves as he could before transferring ownership to Phipps. These freed slaves settled further away from Rotherwood into Hawkins County in a place named Zion Hill. Among those that were freed were the ancestors of the future singer and actress Diana Ross. Wow, that's pretty interesting. Whose family had taken the Ross family name as their own because Ross himself was a kind man. Ross had freed the slaves because he knew what was coming. The storm that was incarnate in a man named Joshua Phipps. Ross left his once happy manor and grounds and the remaining slaves he could not free in the hands of Phipps and left by carriage to his fate. He would die years later as a broken man. 
Phipps, on the other hand, would have a short but unforgettable tenure as the lord and master of the Rotherwood Plantation. Even before his death, Phipps was known in his day for his malice, his cruelty, and his irritable nature. The only thing that held him in check as overseer of the slaves and grounds was the hand of his employer, Ross. Now that Ross was out of the picture, Phipps had total control of the manor and the slaves, and it is not hyperbole to say that hell was unleashed the day he took control. Rotherwood began to change. Slave cells were added inside the basement with dirt walls, dirt floors, and no windows with only one opening. The field slaves were forced to huddle in the small room at night. Iron bars were set into the one opening with no glass or protection from the elements. On the third floor, a whipping post was built into the walls. Phipps's cruelty knew no bounds. And, you know, I've read some of the accounts and I just can't put them here on the show. They are just too too harrowing for a family-friendly show. So I'm going to skip on to the next part of this uh, story. And Phipps, basically, he gets what he deserves. In the summer of 1861, he fell ill. The doctors could not explain his condition, and he was feverish, almost delusional. So afraid of contagion, the cruel man was now debil- was now debilitated by sickness and was moved out and quarantined into the carriage house. A young slave boy was assigned to keep watch over him and to fan him to keep him cool. For days, Phipps lingered half awake in fever with labored breathing until finally death came for Phipps in a way that only a man of his nature could deserve. In fact, No one has an explanation for his death or the circumstances in which it occurred. Can a man be so evil that death itself manifests directly and comes to take him from this world? Maybe. So here's what happened. One sweltering afternoon, the slave boy was fanning Phipps as he was assigned when suddenly Phipps, for the first time in days, snapped fully awake. His eyes, roving wildly in their sockets, seemed to fixate on the point high into the air above and behind the young boy. Turning to see what his master saw, the boy himself let out a blood-curdling scream of absolute horror. A sickly, buzzing cloud had begun to form in midair, wriggling and swarming, and it took the boy all of two seconds to realize what it was. Hundreds of flies. The cloud of flies got thicker and thicker until finally the entire cloud itself descended onto Phipps, covering his face, crawling and running all over his forehead, their tiny hairy legs poking into his open eyes as they rammed themselves up his nostrils, into his ears, and finally down his open screaming mouth. The swarm was so thick that Phipps finally started to suffocate, choking to death, on the living, buzzing flies. Unrelenting, the flies kept coming as the young boy, scared out of his mind, watched his master quickly go into spasms 
as his tormentor and owner's lungs filled with the insects as Phipps finally died with a buzzing death rattle. Finally regaining his senses, the boy bolted off to the house to get help. When he returned with family and the doctor, Phipps lay dead, his eyes staring up, his mouth slack, and frozen on his face was a look of terror. There wasn't a fly in sight. They had vanished as though they had never existed at all. His death was something out of the books of hell, but Joshua Phipps was not to be gotten rid of so easily. His funeral, even today, is something of legend. As locals whose great-great-grandparents were there and who passed the story down to their descendants. One such descendant, folklorist and historian Nancy Acuff, personally confirmed what I'm about to say next is true. As told to her from the first-person account of her great-great-grandfather who was present at the event and told her father and then to her. The funeral of the most hated man in Kingsport was more of a social event of the summer than the somber occasion it would have been, though I do not have to wonder just how upset Phipps' wife and remaining family were, but that's neither here nor there. The funeral casket was to be pulled by two large horses up and around to the cemetery plots on the grounds. During the funeral, it seems that a storm was coming the wind picking up the skirts and clothing of those around and making the black covering on the casket move ever so slightly, just enough to make one wonder if the man himself were really dead. As the procession up the hill began, the two horses began to struggle, digging deep furrows into the earth as though the simple cart and casket were too heavy for them to budge. Unable to move the casket, two more horses were attached, and slowly the hearse began to move again, each horse straining to make the wheels turn with its unnatural weight. Overhead, the sky began to grow from a promise of rain to a churning sky as thunder began to snarl. Just before they reached the cemetery, a bolt of lightning snapped down out of the black clouds, cutting a tree in two, knocking the trunk violently across the path, blocking the road. The onlookers were worried and began to mutter about evil and God as the pallbearer simply picked up the casket and carried it to the open graveside where the pastor stood waiting to lay the man inside to rest. As the pastor began to give Phipps his final words, the river below the gathering began to bubble and churn as if it were boiling, the currents moving so fast the water itself was muddy. The thunder above grew worse, and a movement drew the eyes of the crowd. The casket under its dark cloth was moving. It was vibrating as though something inside wanted out badly. They heard the scrabbling of what sounded like claws against the wood, and with a roar, a gigantic black dog blasted out of the casket bolting out from under the black cloth as the attendants screamed in terror. The dog snarled at them with its gleaming eyes before bolting off across the grounds and vanishing into the woods. The casket itself was unharmed. It seemed to be an impossibility. Shaken and now thoroughly scared, the onlookers rushed the pastor, who himself was shaken ashen white. 
Finishing the rites, Phillips's coffin was hastily buried, and as the onlookers moved to go back down the hill, the first drops of ice-cold rain began to fall. There was another sound some would swear to later to their children and neighbors, a sound that mingled with the thunder, the sound of laughter, as they said, the voice belonged to Joshua Phipps. Two weeks later, Rotherwood was still moving on, though without one of its cruelest taskmasters. It was somewhat quieter. The remaining family began to whisper of things moving in the shadows of the house, of hearing animal feet running through the hallways, and most horrifying of all, that the laughter and sound of Joshua Phipps stalking his way around the home as he would appear at night at the foot of the bed and yank the bedclothes off, keeping anyone from sleeping. But it wasn't only the family that had these troubles. The slaves were coming in droves to the point of a riot to claim that the ghost of Joshua Phipps had risen from the grave along with a giant black dog to torment them every night. Fed up with such reports, the new overseers and the family uh, to calm their fears agreed that Phipps's grave would be dug up to prove once and for all that the man was truly dead. Opening the grave turned out to offer more mysteries and terror than anyone imagined. The coffin was still there, and once opened, it was empty. All but a few large black animal hairs. Stunned, no one knew what had become of his body as the dirt on the grave had not been disturbed. Not longer after, violence struck Rotherwood again as the slaves, unable to bear the torment from their unseen attackers, revolted, destroying Phipps' headstone, desecrating his grave, and finally, at last, killing their last torturer. Phipps' equally cruel mistress, the mulatto woman, they beat her to death, and what happened to her body is unknown. From that point on, Rotherwood has had several different owners, one of them being the United States government in 1940, and then later on, a prominent OBGYN owned it, and it is now a private residence. Some of the other happenings at this house uh, that took place, one was during a time when it was being renovated. And uh, during that time, the owner and a friend were at the house, and there was some workmen who were working on the plumbing and wiring in the basement where the former slave cells were located. One of the workmen claimed that his partner suddenly looked up from his work and froze in place, his skin going white and his eyes widening like a deer in headlights. Without preamble, his partner began to scream and run, fleeing up the stairs as if running for his life. Astounded, the owner, her friend, and the workman watched as the man leaped into the work van, spun gravel out, and fled, leaving his tools and his partner and a stunned owner behind. Later, when the man was calm enough to tell everyone what had happened, he said that he had been working and he had looked up when he had felt someone staring at him. When he did, he saw a man materialize out of the wall, dressed in a dark suit. 
Next to him was a gigantic black dog with glowing red eyes, its mouth open, fangs exposed, snarling deep in its throat. The man looked at him and grinned with a sadistic smile and pointed at him. Instantly, the dog had leapt for his throat, and that's why he ran, because the dog that no one else could see was chasing him down like a rabbit. He said the dog followed him up out of the basement to the van and even a little bit down the road before vanishing into thin air. The workman said he would never set foot on the property again, and he never did. It is also said that the ghost of Rowena has been seen on the grounds of the mansion. Rowena Ross still looks for her first love, drowned so long ago. The first appearance of her apparitions occurred mere weeks after her suicide. And if you can recall earlier, it said that the reason that she committed suicide in the first place was that she had said that she had saw the hand of her true love beckoning her to come to him in the river. It's also said that you can hear the moaning, the wailing, and the crying of slaves who were tortured or killed on the plantation grounds. I am not in the least bit surprised about this, considering all of the cruelty that was brought upon the people that live there. The amount of energy and just bad feelings that was absorbed by this place. Yeah, I, I could totally get the uh, the ghosts of the uh, slaves that were killed on the plantation. The last ghost, and certainly the most active, is the malevolent Josh Phipps himself, mostly known for yanking the covers off beds and sending peals of maniacal laughter down the halls. He is also known for poking and pushing the living. He's also been blamed for objects moving and for general feelings of unease around the house. It's also believed that he is to blame for the screams that some report hearing at night coming from the house and for the blood spots that reputedly appear on the floor every time it rains. I want to give a shout out to Anthony Justice. I am going to reference him as the source for a lot of this information that I gave you all today. He had posted this on his blog called The Haunted Spots Blog, and it was uh, written in on March the 2nd of 2016. So, Anthony, thank you very much for such a very well-written blog, and I hope to um, run into you sometime in the near future because I would love to pick your brain, and it looks like you are from this area. So thanks again. I really appreciate that. Well, folks, that is the episode for today. I want to uh, thank you all for listening to the show and coming back each and every week. It means the world to Becca and myself, because without you guys, there would be no boo my dad says. If you would like to leave a rating and review on the Apple podcast, that would be very much appreciated because when you leave a five-star rating and review, that moves us up into the search results algorithm. So we could rank right up there with a lot of the other uh, contemporaries in this field, like the Graveyard Tales or the uh, History Goes Bump or Paranormal Mysteries podcast. Those are a few that I enjoy listening to on a weekly basis. 
And when you give us that rating and review, it helps us to be found and will help grow our listener base so that we can get out there to more and more people and tell them about the hauntings and the histories of all these wonderful locations that are on this beautiful planet Earth. Well, folks, until next week, I hope you all have a wonderful week, and we will see you then. Goodbye, and God bless, my friends. Good evening and welcome to another episode of Boo My Dad Says. My name is John. And I'm Becca. And we are your tour guides through the world of the paranormal. We've got a whole lot of history, a whole lot of mystery, and a whole lot of weird. So sit back, relax, and prepare for a spine-tingling time.